Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender.
Roland Martin here. Coming up on Roland Martin Unfiltered for Monday, June 17, 2019. Black folks are under attack by police departments across the country. We'll give you a roundup of Cops Gone Wild in Baltimore, Arizona, Brooklyn, as well as Arkansas. The Poor People's Campaign held their presidential forum today with a focus on what they need to do to get poor people's votes. We'll show you some of what was said. Also, comedian Tiffany Haddish has canceled her Atlanta appearance over the state's new abortion law. Will this lead to others canceling as well? And why did Cuba Gooding Jr. have to do the perp walk in New York after being charged with a misdemeanor crime? We're going to break it down with our panel. And oh my God, guess what? A white boy has now been, uh, has gotten his admissions taken from Harvard. And he's so upset, he's whining and complaining because two years ago, he used racist language. <laughs> Conservatives are really upset. Get the hell over it. It's time to bring the funk on Roland Martin Unfiltered. Let's go. Stunning cases showing police abuse all across the country. We'll start with what took place in Brooklyn. Nicholas Simon, a 17-year-old student who is a DJ, has a medical problem that keeps him from going to school. As a result, his parents homeschooled him. Folks, he was recently coming home from the park in Brooklyn when this actually happened. Folks, what the hell was that? Joining us now is Nicholas' attorney, Keith White. Keith, welcome to Roland Martin Unfiltered. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. First, first and foremost, why was Nicholas taken down by seven cops? So, so let me give some additional context. Nicholas is 5'3". He weighs 119 pounds. And so, um, to your point, there's no reason that he was approached by that many of police officers to take him down. Not only that, he was never um, aggressive. He was never refusing. They didn't say anything to him. And so what they did is they essentially walked, ran up on him, pulled up the cars, 
grabbed him, threw him on the floor, put their knees in his back. He has scars on his back. Put, um, put their knees in his head, placed them in handcuffs behind his back. And if you, you continue looking at the video, they lifted him by those handcuffs. So he's lifted by, his, by, by the handcuffs off the ground and thrown into a police vehicle. With but no why cause. was he stopped in the first place? I mean, literally, when you watch the video, he's walking down the street. All of a sudden, cop, a cop car pulls up. They jump out, grab him, throw him to the ground, and then another car comes up, and then they, they, they also do the exact same thing. Why was he stopped? So he was stopped for no reason, to be, to be clear with you. But let me say this. Um, people have been asking me that. People have been sending me messages on social media hey, but what was he doing to be stopped? And that's 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 problematic. He was not doing anything. He was walking home from the park. There had not been a previous incident. He was not accused of anything. And so after this incident, after he was detained by these police officers, he was arrested, taken to the precinct. They couldn't find a reason to, um, to keep him, so they charged him with disorderly conduct and acting in a manner that was violent. Okay, wait, 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 wait. Okay, this is what I'm trying to ask for detain. So there wasn't some call of a nearby robbery, and that was a suspect who was described wearing a red track suit. Nothing along those lines. So, so there was nothing that precipitated. Like, what was the actual? So, was there any rationale? Was there some nearby call of of somebody beating somebody, doing something, anything like that? There was. There's. There's nothing of record that that has been produced to to myself or to Nicholas's family that indicates that there was any call like that, that there was anyone in any imminent danger, that, that there was some threat, that there was some threat to the general public who was wearing a red, uh, a red hoodie and a backpack and dribbling a, ba a basketball up the block coming from the park. There was, there's no indication that that happened. And, and, and the reason I'm sitting here with this stunned look on my face is because you watch the video, they get out of the car they don't even ask him any questions. He is immediately taken down to the ground. Right, right. And, and I think that that's one of the problems that we, that we experience in, in, in marginalized and underserved communities, right, is that that's allowed to happen because the expectation is that he must have done something wrong. And so that's also the question that I'm getting on social media and, 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 and all over the place is people are saying, well, he must have done something or there must have been something going on to allow this, and, and and what I'm saying is that there's no indication, the police have not given a statement, they've been requested, right, to provide a statement as to what's happening here, and no one has an answer, because this is the type of rogue policing that's allowed to go on in marginalized communities. What's next uh, for, for, for Duke? What's next for Nicholas? Uh, I mean, uh, first of all, when did this incident actually take place? This incident took place on Wednesday, uh, June 12th. And it happened at 6 p.m. on um, Rogers Avenue um, in Brooklyn, New York. And so the next step is that the the charges are going to be dismissed. It's un like there's there's no way that this case is going to go forward criminally. We're going to get the charges dismissed. That's what I do. And then the next step well, is to sue. Well, well, okay, but again, the charge is disorderly conduct. What the hell was the conduct? Bouncing a basketball? Right. Right, it's 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 the most straightforward um, example of police abuse, right? And I think that the the reason why it hasn't gotten more uproar is because he survived. But had he 
But had he actually been seriously hurt, had he had he got the bid died as a result of this, right? We'd be having a much different conversation. But why do we need to have our young black boys hashtagged in order for people to care? And that's the point here. So that's why I appreciate you bringing light to the issue because we have to continue to make noise in order for us to see changes. Last question for you. What is the state of the mind of Nicholas? I mean, first of all, uh, if you're a young black man, you go through something along these lines, it's traumatic. Uh, uh, and so how is he doing mentally and physically? He's traumatized. I mean, and, and I'm not exaggerating this. You know, D Nick is a DJ. You know, he's a, he's a young kid who, who's very popular in his community for being like being a DJ, but he's quieted and he's, he's quieted in a sense that he doesn't necessarily want to talk to people. He doesn't, you know, he, when he sees the police now driving by, he's like, you know, he gets up in arms. And so he's got some, he's got some bodily scars that he has to, you know, that have to heal, but he's got some mental scars and some traumas that, that have to be processed and unpacked, you know, in a whole nother way. Certainly give our regards to Nicholas uh, and his family. We're going to stay on top of this. Keith, please keep us updated uh, because we certainly do not want uh, this to be ignored. You're absolutely right. Mainstream media, uh, the cable networks, they haven't done anything with this. And had Nicholas been getting killed, sure, all of a sudden it would be a story. Also, I want to thank the people on social media uh, who have been talking about this, who also brought to my attention as well. And that's why we wanted to have you on Roller Martin Unfiltered. Keith White, thanks a lot. Thank you. All right, folks, let's go to this other story, which is folks have been talking about all weekend. In Phoenix, one of the worst cases of abuse of police power we have seen in a long time. A four-year-old, without her parents' knowledge, walks out of a dollar store with a doll. Let me repeat that. A dollar store with a doll. Then this happened. Come down! 
right? When I tell you to do something, you fucking do it. Where the girl at? Oh, look at these kids. Y'all get it. Can I get the babies? Excuse me. Excuse me. Can I get the kids? Excuse me. Officer, can I get the kids? Duffy, go get her kids. Go, go get, get her kids. kids. Duffy, go get her kids. Hurry up. He needs to slow down and those kids is right there. Duffy, go get her kids. Hurry up. Duffy, go get her kids. And the lady is pregnant. Duffy, go get the, go get a kid. She bringing it. Folks, the mayor of Phoenix has apologized for the behavior of these cops but they still have their jobs pending an investigation. Also, uh, Jay-Z is also paying for their attorney. And the parents had no idea their child even took the doll out of the store. They were completely in the dark. Now, let's go to Arkansas, where a cop who clearly wanted to shoot this black driver, but he was not taking the bait. Watch this. What I do wrong? Shut your car off. Come on. Shoot. Shut your car off. He want to shoot me. Got a gun? All you gotta do is drive on. What's what I was doing? What was I doing? What was I doing? My hands in the air. My hands in the air. Shoot. Why don't you comply with the law? Shoot, shoot me. My hands in I'm the air. I'm not gonna shoot you, but you're not gonna move those hands. My hands in the air. My hands in the air. You tell me to shut my car off so you can shoot me. Come on now. The cop says all you had to do was drive off. The man then says, "What did I do?" He couldn't tell him what he did. You remember the front of the video, the cop said, gun. There was no gun. He was straight lying. But he was speaking into the radio and the body camera. That's what he was trying to also cover up. Finally, in Baltimore, a police officer got angry when a bystander criticized him for the way he was detaining another man. Listen and watch what this cop did. Watch you mind your business. You need to stop that man sitting on the ground. 30. You got him? You got him? I'm not running away. Hey. Sir, get off me, sir. Sir, don't grab. Sir, get off me. Yo. Get the f off me. Yo. 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 Hey, look, 
The officer in Baltimore has been criminally charged, uh, false imprisonment, misconduct in office. He was charged with assault. You heard him say, take your charge like a man, because he dared to literally question him. My pound, Dr. Cleo Monago, social political analyst and activist. Janice L. Mathis, Esquire, Executive Director, National Council of Negro Women. And Dr. Nyambe Carter, Department of Political Science, Howard University. Uh, Cleo, you work with uh, law enforcement in Los Angeles. I want to show all of those back to back to back because all we keep hearing, good cops, old, few bad apples, but you saw what happened in Phoenix, in Brooklyn, in Arkansas, in Baltimore, all white cops and how they were hyper-aggressive targeting black people. And you literally have cops pulling guns out in Phoenix over a doll in a dollar store? Roland, as you know, we've been talking about this issue for years. Maybe it's been, I don't know, almost 10 years now. And I have to reiterate, because this is redundant as well, I have to be redundant. I'm so glad that somebody invented these video smartphones, because as a result of that, as we know, we get to see these things going down. And I'm even more excited to hear that in each one of these incidences, apparently, the cops have been um, apprehended in terms of being questioned and put in some type of punishment for what they've done, possibly. But what I'm concerned about, as usual, first of all, I'm very traumatized right now myself. That back-to-back craziness was difficult. I have to keep myself from crying because I'm not trying to be crying on, on, on camera. But anyway, we, we have to be talking to our children about this because the, the brother mentioned earlier about the young man in Brooklyn who was traumatized. It's important to understand that witnesses to this are traumatized. Black boys in particular who wonder when their, their turn is going to come are traumatized. And we got to talk to our children and alert them that it's not their fault. The, the attorney also mentioned that people that he had spoken to said that he must have done something. And I just hope it becomes clear to us. I'm talking about black people now. That when we see a brother or a sister in handcuffs being led to the police department, does not necessarily mean they actually done something. Because mm -hmm. we have some anti-black impulses that we've been trained through media and through all the negative messaging that we have not really 
talked about as a people so we can unlearn and unpack those impulses. And it's a good idea that people are filming this stuff. And I'm going to close with this. As I say every time, most of these cases don't make the media. Most of these cases, people don't, re don't think about taking their phones out. They're too traumatized to remember to do that. So black people, we need to step up and do something about this. Members of Congress, people who are influential positions, we need to look at the fact that our children, our people, black men especially, and black people are being traumatized and assaulted for doing nothing. A, a dog coming out of a doll, a, a doll store. And cops are dealing, you're talking about road rage. We're dealing with dysfunctional cop rage in this country. With cops taking out their fantasies on the, to, to, to control and take down black people because they have that fantasy right. and they get to do it now because they got a gun. Mm -hmm. Janice Mathis, when you look at this, when you look at all of these <sighs> different cases, when you look at what's behind them, um, the case in Brooklyn, a young man just walking down the street and all of a sudden uh, gets looks up and then he's taken to the ground, ground by cops. Hell yes, this is traumatic for, for black people. Uh, and look, I'm here in Dallas right now. Uh, and you had a white man who was shot and killed today who went to the federal building, uh, armed Kevlar vest. I mean, he was ready for war. He was taken down. I mean, literally, it is it is a shock that black people have not gone to the extent of these crazy white extremists uh, when it comes to uh, their paramilitary gear or literally how we are treated just walking while black. Well, Roland, there are two forces that seem to be exacerbating what we're seeing. I, too, was stunned and shocked to watch those successive videos. I shouldn't be surprised. 30 years of practicing law in Georgia, I saw cases like that at least several times a year. But there are two forces. One is this rage, this enragement, this utter disgust and refusal to see black people as human beings entitled to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that somehow young African-American men and black men in general and black people in general are just not quite human. We don't have to treat them quite like him. But the other thing is there's a permissiveness in the air <clears throat> that is exacerbating these feelings of low self-worth, uh, competition that they some people feel that they are losing yeah. I keep thinking about you will not replace me who's trying to replace you and where do you feel like you being replaced at that rage but it is being fed and aided and abetted and exacerbated by what's going on in this administration and we fool ourselves but I think if there is a solution it's going to come from doing a better job of saying, I don't believe in implicit bias, frankly. And I don't believe that you can train these kind of instincts out of people. The best you can do is avoid hiring racists in the first place as police officers. And we need to pay them better. But I am not a fan of saying there's more training. The law needs to be changed, too, because this idea that anytime a cop says, well, I was afraid, well, think about how that young man must have felt saying, my hands are in the air. Now, he's got a gun pointed right. at him. And he's Precisely. got to say over and over and over again, my heart started beating fast for him. Because I kept wondering, when is this fool going to lose his composure and start shooting? My hands are in the air. 
But Roland, I want to say something just real quick. I promise I can be brief here. Hold on, Cleo, one second. Dr. Carter, I want you to weigh in. So, yeah, I mean, the only reason I could watch these videos today was because I knew no one died in them. And that's the really unfortunate part of all of this is that death is so common, we don't think about the, the less spectacular cases where people are just harassed. I mean, this woman in Phoenix was told to put her one-year-old not-walking baby on the ground, right, where that baby would have been burned and God knows what they would have done to her, right, had she put that baby down. So it's all of these cases just show us how willing we are to believe police narratives. And honestly, in all of these cases, I think the police wanted these people to be shot and killed because then they don't have a counter story because whether it's the man in Arkansas yelling gun even though the guy clearly had his hands in the air and was no gun present, whether it's a Barbie doll in Phoenix, all these people needed some some small provocation, even not, right? Because in Brooklyn, this young boy, and I can't even call him a young man, he's a boy, is walking home, and thank God for bystanders, thank God for that woman in that yellow dress who walked around the police officers who were clearly trying to block her line of sight, and the young man in Baltimore who was talking about the lack of respect paid to us in our communities, sitting on the curb, people driving by, you're assumed to be a criminal. They were doing a warrant check. They didn't know whether this man had a criminal record. He had no charge against him, but he was being detained, and that young man said something about it because yep. it's a routine disrespect. And that young man in that video who's saying he's going to sue the Baltimore Police Department, his harassment hasn't stopped because he's not had those criminal charges dropped. They've charged him with something else because what they do, like they did after that Eric Garner case, and as they do after so many of these cases, the police will continue to surveil you, they will harass you, they will harass your people, the people around you, your community, hoping that you trip up because they were going to get him on something because he was being smart, right? I mean, that's the only thing that that cop didn't right. like, that he had the nerve to say something. I'm, I'm arresting you because you don't know how to act. Exactly. You don't know and how to act. Right. That ain't you don't know how to act and then take it like a man. Yes. And the thing that it was also interesting is that in all these cases, not a single time mm -hmm. has the police union, fraternal order police said, damn it, you know what? Our people are wrong. That's right. This shouldn't have happened. Cleo, go ahead. I also want to mention, just in spite of what, what I just heard, that five of the people that were involved in Ferguson who were protesters are dead, mysteriously. Mm -hmm. So I want to mention that in terms of mm -hmm. you mentioned surveillance, ex exactly. et cetera. But I'll, I yeah, want to we, say that... Yeah, but that, that that's, that's a story that we've covered, trying to understand, you know, you know what is going on there. And look, there's still no answers, and they're, un, they're yeah. un, unsolved. Two of them actually uh, were found shot and burned in their cars. But go ahead. Mm -hmm. She mentioned Trump. And I want to tell you, I worked at the East Los Angeles Sheriff Department in the late 80s. The same exact thing we just saw on video, because I witnessed with my own eyes, was one reason why I quit and resigned from the police department, was going on back then. I want to make us real clear, because of Trump's insanity and how ridiculous and extreme he is, we're making a correlation. But I want people to know that, I mean, this kind of behavior and attacks and, and assaulting a black person. One time I was dri driving down the 10 freeway in Los Angeles and I saw a sheriff. It was a woman parked on the side of the freeway and he was literally banging his car into her car and pushing her car sideways. You got you what I'm saying? Her car was turned sideways and he was pu pushing her car with the car. And I got out of the car and said, what's going on? And he threatened to kill me. And I was working for the sheriff's department at this time. So I just want to say just real quickly well, that this clear. is not new. 
I'm not saying it, it's, it's this new. thing right here that's making it come right, to attention. Right. We've been getting killed right. like this for a long time. No, no. One second, one second. I really don't. One second, one second. One second, one second. One second. It's not, one second. It's not new. It's not new. She may be late. But here's the piece, but here's the piece here, Janice. The difference that we have here, two things. One, yeah, proliferation of video cameras. Everybody now has a phone. Two, the reason it does matter when you talk about Trump is because under Jeff Sessions, under Bill Ball, the attorney general, they have executed a strategy where they do not want to hold cops, cops accountable. All Donald Trump does is go in front of cops and praise them and lavish them. Jeff Sessions said, we're going to pull back on consent decrees because it was hurting the morale of cops. This administration and white Republicans, white Republicans do not want to hold cops accountable because they want them to keep doing this type of stuff. Mm -hmm. I agree with that. Yes, absolutely. I agree with that. Janice, go ahead. Well, I was just thinking that when you think about the fact that the consent decrees were not just abandoned, but reversed, you had the Justice Department switch sides in the case in Ferguson and in Baltimore and to actively oppose the, the consent decrees. Um, the judges that are flooding the federal benches that will be there for the rest of my lifetime and beyond who can be counted on to find um, excuses for police misbehavior. Uh, it's, it's difficult for me to understand how that could not exacerbate what we're seeing in the street. But Roland, there has well, been polls taken on the attitudes between blacks and whites about the police for the past 20 years. And no matter what goes down in terms of how they attack black people, most whites keep, keep saying that the, what the police is doing is fine. But Democrat I think it's a, and Republican. Yeah, but I think it's a both and proposition. Both By things comment, can be true. Comment. No, I, say, I think it's a both and proposition. I think both of what you guys are saying can be true at the same time. Sure. I mean, and I think we also need to talk more clearly about the police unions because police have always been weapons of the state used to discipline black bodies right. for any manner of, of, of things that the, the state yep. wanted to do. But I, I do think these police unions, we have got to have a way to criticize them more clearly and confront them because the power that they have, it's obscene. And the fact that they won't even see something like this and say, this does not represent us, lets us know that these people are not here to protect us, but to keep lining their own pockets and, and keep their pensions and right. everything else for them and their brethren. All right, folks, uh, hold tight one second. First of all, shout out to Conscious Thought uh, for his donation on our YouTube channel, folks, that you can actually give while the show is live. Conversation we're having, you're not hearing on mainstream television uh, because, frankly, they're not trying to cover these stories. And so uh, you can certainly give while you're on our YouTube channel. Uh, and then anybody who gives during the show gets a shout out right here on the show. And, of course, you can join our Bring the Funk fan club by going to RolandMartinUnfiltered.com. When we come back, we're going to talk about a Supreme Court decision that deal, deals with racial gerrymandering. And uh, can you believe it? Clarence Thomas actually ruled for something involving black people. That's next. Roland Martin Unfiltered. Back in a moment. You want to check out Roland Martin Unfiltered? YouTube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real. It's Roland Martin Unfiltered. See that name right there? Roland Martin Unfiltered. Like, share, subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's YouTube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. And don't forget to turn on your notifications so when we go live, you'll know it. 
All right, folks, they're back. MarijuanaStock.org has another great investment opportunity. If you were lucky enough to invest in their last crowdfunding campaign, you know they raised a lot of money in just a few months investing in legal marijuana farms. Those initial investors now own shares of a publicly traded company. And, of course, they are very excited by that. Now they have a new investment opportunity that is as good, if not better, than the last. I'm talking about industrial hemp CBD. For those who don't know, the hemp plant is a cousin to marijuana, uh, of course, and then you, it has a higher concentration of CBD, which means hemp CBD gives you all of the medical benefits of marijuana without getting you high. Now, until recently, hemp farming was practically illegal in the U.S. and heavily regulated by the DEA. However, that changed with the 2018 Farm Bill, making it legal to grow hemp CBD in the U.S. and creating one of the largest commodities worldwide. They need land to grow all of the plants, and this makes for an incredible investment opportunity. And that's where our good friends at 420 Real Estate come in. Their business model is simple. They buy land that supports hemp CBD grow operations and lease it to licensed high-paying tenants. That's right. They are hemp CBD landlords, and you can get in on the action. You can invest in this crowdfunding campaign for as little as 200 bucks, up to $10,000. All right, folks, all you got to do is go to MarijuanaStock.org. That's MarijuanaStock.org if you want to get in the game. And if you do so, do it now. All right, folks, today's Supreme Court chose not to accept an appeal by Republican legislators in Virginia when it came to their delegation, which was determined to be racially gerrymandered. They left in place a ruling that invalidated state electoral districts. The lines were drawn because they weakened the clout of black voters in violation of the U.S. Constitution. The justices, in a 5-4 decision, sidestepped a ruling on the merits of the case. They instead found that the Republican-led delegates lacked the necessary legal standing to appeal a lower court ruling that had invalidated 11 state house districts for racial discrimination. What that means is that the, the, the current drawing of the lines will be in place when they go to the polls in November. Democrats could take control of the Virginia House as a result of this decision. Let's go to our panel here. Janice Mathis, I want to start with you. Gerrymandering is a huge issue. One of the reasons why Republicans have been able to maintain control in these state legislatures is because of this very thing. So we're talking about Virginia, we're talking about uh, Wisconsin, we're talking about North Carolina, uh, Pennsylvania, a number of places. And so they, they, the court did not rule on gerrymandering, but they clearly made uh, say it here that black voters were being disenfranchised as a result of how the lines were drawn. And what they do, Janice, they, they pack the black voters in these 11 districts to invalidate their power in other districts. Certainly that is what it's designed to do is dilute the black vote. It's just another one of the many tools that are used to undermine black voting power. And in a sense, you allow politicians to pick the voters that they want rather than having the voters pick the elected officials that the Voting Rights Act used to guarantee before it was gutted in the Shelby case. And so it's interesting that they use standing. Standing has been a popular tool for the court for the last couple of decades to avoid ruling on hot potato types of cases. And if Clarence Thomas voted along with the majority, that really is stunning. <laughs> it, it, there once was a time where racial gerrymandering was considered to be 
uh, fair game, but the court has been moving steadily in a different direction. I think we have to give Eric Holder and the National Redistricting Committee some some props when it comes to fighting that and popularizing the issue so that we understand how important it is mm -hmm. that you can't have 40% of the people be Republicans and 60% elected officials end up being Republican. That's how it tends to, mm -hmm. to turn out is that if I can't win, then I'm going to change the rules of the game. If I don't like the way the elections are turning out, then I'm going to upend the elections and change the rules. Mm -hmm. Cheat a little bit, Dr. shave Carl, a few points. Absolutely. Dr. Carl, I'm going to go to you. Well, I, I need our people watching mm -hmm. to learn to connect the dots. Okay. Because, because what happened, and, 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 and but follow me, I want you to speak to this. Because what a lot of people don't understand, we had this conversation a few years ago on Washington Watch, the Sunday morning show I had on TV One. Cornell Belcher said this. He said African-Americans should be very strategic about how we look at politics. Mm -hmm. He said we may have to give up some black, quote, seats mm -hmm. in order to expand our power. And there were people who were saying, what are you talking about? Because what he was saying was that, like in Texas, when they changed the lines, That's they right. created a sec a another district in Houston which, Cong which Congressman Al Green sits in, they did that to get rid of five white Democrats. Mm -hmm. And so what, 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 what Cornell was saying is that we must look at African-Americans, Latinos, and others and say, hey, don't just get excited. Oh, my goodness, we've got 15 black state legislators. He said it means nothing if you're in the minority. That's what we saw, saw here in Virginia. They packed the black folks in to say, here y'all go. You got 11 seats but you're in the majority and white Republicans are still in control. Right, and I think this is what people don't understand about gerrymandering. It is a constitutionally mandated practice, right, that we have to actually have legislative districts that look like the population. So as the population ebbs and flows, different states will have different uh, a, a number of seats. So the process happens in the state legislature. So it's really important that you think about who your state legislators are, because those are the people who are going to be redrawing these districts. And the party in power usually withdraws, redraws those districts for their party. But the thing is, it only happens once a decade. So you may be voted out of office, but you theoretically could have power for another decade because you were in charge of the process that redrew yeah. these legislative districts. So sometimes we have to really be mindful that if you say do majority minority districts, which a lot of uh, of black folks in in state in the in the national congress um, owe their seats to were a good idea, but if that's all the representation you ever get, it may actually be a, a, a short term uh, plan that doesn't really bring long term power. And I think that's what Cornell Belcher was getting at: yep. is we have to think yep, about absolutely. these matters because they do have these ripple out effects. So it's more important to have those black voters spread across more legislative districts where they might be able to get some friendly legislators. Maybe they're not from your same race, but they might actually be bringing forth policies that are actually bringing dividends to your community and be more reflective of the state as a whole rather than giving you those same uh, set of electoral districts and this limited number of, of representatives that actually don't are not able to be as powerful. And that's the whole goal when they pack like that. Even if they if they crack you, right, the same thing is to dilute your power. And there are a lot of ways that that can happen. Got but unfortunately, the Deep South, because there are so many black people concentrated in certain places, right. they tend to stack. Cleo? 
That was basically a class on what to do about gerrymandering and what to do about political power. So these sisters kind of covered it all from my perspective. I'm just really fascinated with Clarence Thomas acting like he has some sense for once. I wonder, I wonder what happened. Well, trust, well, and it was interesting because Stephen Breyer, one of the so-called liberal justices, ruled with the traditionally conservative justices. All right, folks. Let's go to our next story. The Poor People's Presidential Forum uh, took place today in the nation's capital. Uh, they took place on the campus uh, there. Uh, Reverend William Barber and repairs of the breach hosted more than 1,000 people from across the country. This forum was a lot different, where poor people were asking the questions to Senators Kamala Harris, Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, as well as Vice President Joe Biden. An opportunity was had to discuss solutions for systemic racism and poverty in the United States. Here are Reverend Barber's opening remarks. Say, come on in and let's stand together. We are here because we believe in free speech, the right to protest, and for us, equal protection under the law for everybody is non-negotiable. Liz, we are here to let it be known if President Obama was president or Hillary had won, this campaign would have still launched because racism and poverty still too often and too much impact and harm lives of millions of black, Latino, Asian, First Nation people in this country. We are here because there is a crisis in America. We are not a left movement. We are not a right movement. We're not a Republican movement. We're not a Democratic movement. We are a moral fusion movement. We're here because the beginning of the war on poverty some years ago didn't fail, it was sabotaged. It was assassinated. And we are here to return to the battlefield. We are here because, if anything, with the new administration, and we invited everybody, we invited to this forum, Republicans, Democrats, even the president, we invited everybody. Because we have seen extremism and policy violence to the poor go on steroids and false claims that the war on poverty is over. We are here because we hear a lot in our public life about voting values, but we hear precious little from those sources about valuing the poor and the low wealth. This is also not a campaign for the poor. This is a campaign with the poor because there are some people that have been working on poverty all their lives, but there are some people that have been living it all their lives and fighting it all their lives. We're here because the gains of America's union, civil rights, and human rights movement have been under attack by an elite minority of extremists who have waged a stealth attack on our public institution. We are here because, as Mary Wright Edelman said, we are seeing a massacre of the, problem, the, problems designed, the programs designed to help the poor and children and families in this nation. We are here because we can't be silent anymore. We are here because too much of this policy violence has been endorsed by a heretical form of extreme religionism that attempts to camouflage itself as Christian evangelicalism. That's why we're here. 
We are here to say that we are not a part of a spirituality that, be, is, that, that it believes that God is greed, Christ is cash, and whose goal is more akin to white nationalism than the, the religion of love and truth and justice. We are here, Liz, because pornographic sums of money Mysterious money have been poured into campaigns aimed at delegitimizing the role of government and sanctifying market immorality. We are here because in 2016, we went through the most expensive presidential campaign in U.S. history without one debate out of 26 being dedicated to the issue of poverty when 43.5% of our people live in poverty. Not one. We are here and building a movement because too often we see a nation where some want to guarantee corporations' welfare but do not guarantee basic needs for the poor. We're here because 400 families in this country make an average of $97,000 an hour while we arrest people who go in the street for 15 and a union. We are here because not just in Flint, but all over this country, people can buy unleaded gas and not unleaded water. We are here because while Congress is talking about tax policy to benefit the greedy and using the voodoo and ridiculous tr principles of trickle-down economics, 53 cents, nearly 60 cents of every discretionary dollar goes into the war economy. And it's not money that's going to health care, education, jobs, infrastructure, and a sustainable economy. And as my dear friend, who slipped away into death in the Hudson River, Charlie Vanderhorst, said when he was alive with us, we can't stop because as a doctor, these policies and denying of health care are murdering my patients. We're here because our problem in this nation is not that we don't have enough money, is that we don't have enough moral capacity to face what ails our democracy and turn to your neighbor and say, it's time to change. We are here because one of the ancient prophets, one of the ancient prophets, Amos, who was a farmer, was a farmer, said in the fifth chapter of Amos, there comes a time, Brother Nosey, when, when spiritual people have to go out into the streets and lament loudly and fill the malls and the shops with the cries of doom and weep, not me, not me, not now, empty the offices, the stores, the factories, the workplace, and enter everybody into a general lament, a cry about what's going on if we want to see change happen. We are gathered here because even the Holy Father, Pope Francis, diagnosing this moral crisis of our time, he said, the concentration of income in the hands of a few has become a conspicuous trend in the global economy. People discarded by our economies hardly interrupt the naive optimism of the trickle-down theory. Poverty grows alongside developments in technology that could reduce mortality rates while hunger increases alongside possibilities of food productions at lower cost. Misery has become the norm for far too many. Personal isolation and anonymity are far too commonplace 
amidst the plethora of social networks. The super rich arrogantly praise the market. Hey, folks, the Candace literally are speaking as we are live. Senator Bernie Sanders is now talking. We're trying to pull up their Facebook page to actually uh, go to that live. We record taped some of the other folks. We're going to be playing their responses throughout the week uh, because the Poor People's Congress is taking place today, tomorrow, as well as Wednesday. We'll go by panel here. Uh, Janice, I'll start with you. Um, got the barber, repairs of the breach. They have really been focused over the last three years, mobilizing people, traveling the country, organizing them, and frankly, doing it old school. Uh, they, of course, use social media, they've used technology, but it's really been about the grind of talking and building. That's what they have been so focused on. You and I talked about that in the last election, how, look, this is a thing where you can't just go to these places today, here's a television ad, a radio ad, you gotta go old school precinct captains, block captains, folks who are responsible for streets going door to door to get folks out to vote. I think what it builds on is a certain acknowledgement, a genius of Reverend Barber to go old school. Dr. King's last campaign was a poor people's march. It really started before he was assassinated and continued for several months after his death. It was the last big movement that Dr. King was involved in was a, a, a program for economic justice. And at a time when we're facing income inequality and wealth gap that is almost unprecedented, at least since the 1920s, that it's an appropriate movement and appropriate methods. One of the things he did, he came to organizations like the one that I work for, National Council of Negro Women, and. Delta Sigma Theta and got us to sign on to a set of principles. And Dr. Barber was so disciplined that if you weren't willing to sign on to those principles, he didn't want your endorsement. <laughs> and I think that is old school, let's say that's hardcore, but it was very effective in getting people to understand what it's really all about. I get tired of not hearing, dem hearing Democrats too timid to say the word poverty. They'll say, uh, the working middle, class, middle, middle class. class, and those mm -hmm. who aspire to be middle class. What does that mean? Mm -hmm. The middle class right. and the poor. Mm -hmm. And if we can't name a thing, you can't help. You, right. You're not getting ready to solve it. Mm -hmm. Carter, bottom line is uh, what he's also doing, they aren't talking to black just black people right. and Latinos. They literally are going to broke-ass white folks mm -hmm. and saying, look, y'all in the same position as us. Absolutely. I mean, I think... I mean, this is populism at its finest and its most ideal, really. I mean, this is something that he said over and over during this day, and he said it before, that this is what America, particularly wealthy Americans, don't want to see, which is a united front of poor folks, black, white, Latino, Native American, whatever, all comers. And I think part of this campaign, as he realized, is you have to touch people where they live. This is not something Got that it. you can do from afar. I mean, Dr. Barber is, is very charismatic, but he also understands people. And this is a people problem, and he's been very clear. This is about your day-to-day -day life. This is not about what you like or what you don't like. This is about your very survival. And that is not partisan, and that is not ideological. That's about being an ethical, moral person and caring about what's going to happen to the rest of us, to the least of us. And I think that's why he's been so effective, is he's gotten lots of people to see how their causes overlap and to see how their interests are actually really compatible with one another, even right. if they disagree on some parts. 
Cleo, and no shock Donald Trump turned them down. But they're also putting the screws to those Democratic candidates saying mm -hmm. you are going to have to actually have real policies uh, if you want uh, our votes. Dr. Bar Dr. Barber is powerful. The man said in Flint, Michigan, you can get unleaded gas, but you cannot get unleaded water. That was really powerful, among other things that he said. I'm, look I'm looking forward to seeing what the outcome will be of his multiracial work. Because from my perspective, people do one thing publicly and sometimes they do something else privately. But I'm very impressed with what he's doing. And of course, people like Donald Trump don't support him because it's scary. I mean, one of the things that is scary about him is optically, he's bringing people together beyond the racial, the, the racial narrative. And that's always scary. But we'll see what happens in terms of the white involvement over time. But I'm very impressed with this, this brother. And I hope his work is powerfully transformative in this country. All right, I want to ask you, go, go to another story, folks. Actress and comedian Tiffany Haddish uh, has canceled her upcoming Atlanta performance because of Georgia's new abortion law. She sent a statement to ticket holders saying that she can't, in good faith, perform in Georgia unless it withdraws the so-called heartbeat bill. Haddish was scheduled to perform on June 22nd at the Fox Theater. Janice, you spent a number of years running Rainbow Push there uh, in Georgia. Th there's an interesting battle going on right now, uh, Janice, because you have folks like Stacey Abrams, who's trying to convince liberals not to boycott the state, but to fight to change the bill. But then you have others, other Hollywood studios who said they're not going to shoot movies and do projects in Georgia. So you, it's real interesting, this battle that you have going on there as to what should be, should be the natural response to this bill. Your thoughts? Well, I think that Tiffany is a performer and actress and very talented person. And I think you need both of those kinds of voices. You need that centrist politician who's going to say, okay, let's sit down at a table and try to work it out. But you also need those like Tiffany who put pressure on the system. Don't think it's lost on Kemp and the other politicians in Georgia what that film industry means to Atlanta and to the rest of the state, and most particularly to that airport. That is the engine that keeps Atlanta running. Don't let nobody fool you. It's a perennial fight down there about who's going to control that airport. Yep. And when movie makers start talking about, well, maybe we'll just stay in California or go to Canada, that's a scary proposition. Mm -hmm. And so I would expect that sometimes you have to have a triangulation kind right. of strategy where you play in three-sided three pool rather than two. Mm -hmm. Hold tight one second, folks. Right now, Senator Kamala Harris is speaking at the Poor People's Campaign Congress. I want to go live to her right now. And fighting for equality and fighting for fairness. And so when I then put that also in the context of what is morally right, I often think of the parable of the Good Samaritan. Because what the teachings are there from the book of Luke is, is it is about how do we define neighbor? Everyone knows, well, let's let us live as we and treat our neighbor as we would want to be treated. But what I like about the, the parable of the Good Samaritan is about defining who is neighbor. Who is neighbor? And understanding neighbor is not about the person who shares your zip code. Mm -hmm. Neighbor is not about the person who lives next door and drives the same kind of car like you do, or the person who has kids at the same school you are. What we learn in that parable is neighbor is that person you are walking by who is homeless on the street. The neighbor is somebody, some child or young person who is a runaway.
and who is vulnerable or has been exposed to neglect or abuse. Neighbor is that refugee who arrives on our shores seeking the support of what should be the strong arms of our nation and an embrace and not, not what we have seen from this administration was to flip them and say, go back to where you came from. Neighbor is about understanding and living in service of others, understanding that we are all each other's brothers and sisters. Seeing in each other a family member, a child, a friend, a mother, a father. And so when I talk about and think about then, policy in that context. It is everything that I think about when I think about why I support Medicare for all. It is everything I talk about and think about when I say we need to lift up working families. It is everything that I think about when I say we need to pay teachers their value. We need to reform the criminal justice system. We need to help renters out. We need to see what is happening in our country and treat our fellow human being as we would our neighbor as we would want for ourselves, and so that's how i think about the issues before us and i thank you all everyone here for your service for your leadership for this being such a personal cause which is to fight for the least among these and to give voice and to lift people up with all that they deserve around voice and around dignity and so with that i thank well, that was the opening comment of Senator Kamala Harris there, folks. And so, uh, again, uh, the candidates are all uh, coming through, those nine candidates. And so she was having me live while we're actually on. Uh, and so, again, we're going to have a lot more of what, what each candidate had to say over the rest of the week, uh, focusing on what the Poor People's Congress is doing and repairs of the breach and Reverend Dr. William Barber. Got to ask my panel about this story here. Cuba Gooding Jr. was arrested and charged with forcible touching after a woman accused him of groping her in a New York City night spot. After turning himself in to police on Thursday, he was led by officers out of the special victims unit in handcuffs and charged. The charge was a misdemeanor. So when have you seen anyone doing a perp walk for misdemeanor? Hmm. Let's talk about it with our panel here. Cleo, I want to start with you. Um, it, it, was, it was just quite interesting to me to see that it, a misdemeanor? Really? What, what the hell was that about? What do you think? I mean, what other new narrative can be come up, brought up with to describe this? I mean, like you said, I mean, how many times have you seen it, particularly a, a high-profile person? I don't think I've ever seen it. Was, was Weinstein treated like this? There was a perp walk, but... But his charges were much worse. I mean, you're talking about rape? You're talking, and let me be real clear. I'm not minimizing the allegations, even though I've seen the video and it's sort of suspect, okay? But we're talking about a misdemeanor crime and you go for the perp walk. It was just, I just can't remember, Janice, seeing a misdemeanor of charge and it literally is a perp walk. Well, I'm not seeing it in a high-profile case, but of course, practicing law, I saw it fairly frequently that it didn't matter if somebody was in those charges that the films we looked at earlier today, those were all misdemeanors too. Disorderly conduct is a misdemeanor. That was it looked like they're trying to break that boy's back with their knee. So I I think you don't necessarily can say that you don't see a perp walk because it's a misdemeanor. Depends on how outraged the police are and how bad they want revenge. But is it particularly standard to do that with black people? 
from your from your experience? Or is it yes. Okay. I, would say I think that, that's an important point. Yeah, and I think this is about embarrassing him, right, and, and creating the most humiliation possible. He had turned himself in. It was clear that he knew this charge was outstanding. He showed up. Um, and this was just about creating a moment, right? I mean, this picture will forever live. And probably if you Google him right now, that's the first picture of him that will come up, regardless of his 30-year career he's had at this point. And that was the goal, to inflict pain and humiliation. Um, and they do this routinely to black people, not just black men. And to reinforce the stereotype absolutely of lawlessness uh, and criminality and to show who has right, the power absolutely. And, and black male rapists which is a right. very common trope right. i mean we just saw this with the central yeah. park five i mean this yeah. is sort of coming up again but i mean listen right. this is this is common out of the police playbook right so regardless of whether this is founded or not he will forever be a perpetrator uh, those pictures show it, right? Yeah. That's the evidence that he is a criminal and he is guilty. Yeah, just thought it was just quite quite interesting. Hey, folks, I was going to talk about the Parkland student uh, who has now been had his offer to Harvard University rescinded uh, because of uh, some racist comments he made a couple of years ago. I'm going to have to shift the discussion to tomorrow because of time. Uh, but I do want to uh, play this for you folks this weekend. Uh, Shaft brought in $8.3 million at the box office, according to Box Office Mojo. Uh, and uh, folks, of course, uh, I got an A cinema score. Uh, we saw it last week at American Black Film Festival. Absolutely hilarious movie. Uh, and so while we were there, we caught up with director uh, Tim Story and Method Man about Shaft. And here is our conversation. Hi, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm looking for Shaft. Mm-hmm. Who's asking? John Chef Jr., your son. My son? Jr.? Yeah. You know, they say that cat Shaft is a bad mother. Shut your mouth. Ignore him. He thinks he's a black James Bond. That dude was real. He think he was me. If you go pursue this investigation, I'm going to have to babysit your ass. Yeah. How long has it been? Hmm, never long enough. Lady Syphilis, Madam Chlamydia, it's lovely to meet you both. That's Junior's mama. She'll look better. Please tell me that you did not get our son involved in your bullshit. What is wrong with you? She picked up a bat. You can't beat up a woman. Why not? Because she's a woman. That's like misogynistic. You want being misogynistic. I ain't mentioned her gender. Okay. I'm an equal opportunity ass whooper. All right, folks, here at ABFF uh, with two great folks, Method Man, Tim Story, and, of course, Shaft. Yo, first of all, I was screaming, laughing in the theater watching it last night. I sent Sam a video. Hilarious. And everybody out there who kept tripping talking about it was too much comedy. No, it was a great mix between comedy, action. It, no, I'm telling you, I absolutely enjoy it. And I don't front. Yeah, we tried to do talk, we'll talk right into it. Yeah, we tried to do what we did, you know. Um, we wanted to uh, give it a little bit of a spin. I think at the same time, we kept uh, Shaq respectable. He's still strong and cool, the man, but um, there's a lot to have fun with. And uh, Method Man, for you to uh, to be able to mix it up, uh, just go ahead and grab the microphone there. For you, for you to make, be a part of this, uh, playing a cool-ass club owner. Yeah. Uh, now, hold up. Were you a club owner? I was a club or, owner. Or you, were you? you know, slash the plug, slash, you know, <laughs> confidant, you know. 
Shaft has a lot of, um, you know, Shaft is basically a network in that whole Hall of Marion. So he's connected to pretty much everybody. And he knows where to go when he needs certain information. And I guess Freddie was on the card for the day. Uh, Tim, I saw, when we talked on the red carpet, I told Sam, I said, Sam, uh, I said, for all of the talk about you being the ladies' man, you ain't get no ass in the first movie. And he said, yeah, you're right. I kept talking about it, alluding to it. He said, um, that was no alluding to it in this film. He said, wait till the first scene. The audience lost it. I, we all see it. You'll understand what I'm talking about. So uh, was that also a deliberate way you wanted? I mean, he going to be the man. You got He got to be the man. He has to be. I mean, that's one of the things that me and Sam talked about. <laughs> He's a ladies' man, and, and the fact that it wasn't shown before this, um, we had to correct that. So we did. I, I won't give away what happens as a. I mean, it's in the in the trailer. Hilarious. It's uh, a little something that makes sure you know. Um, Sam was doing his thing. You know, so Shaft was doing his thing. So uh, who? Y'all also took a shot at a particular uh, TV anchor. I thought it was t funny as all get out, uh, and I just and hollered laughing. Uh, and so uh, Shaft took lots of shots. <laughs> yes, he did. Um, yes, he did. Uh, period. <laughs> um, that's what he does. <laughs> he has an opinion, you know. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, honestly, it, that that community could take a joke. Trust me, I know. I have a few friends that are from that community, and they're they're pretty cool with the jokes. Man. And but again, no. The thing, so the, the thing is, you made you made it contemporary. You you brought it up to date. Uh, but then also, you had to go old school. And Richard Roundtree is still. The man. He's the coolest man walking the earth, man. He's just too cool. You saw him on the red carpet. The red carpet in the movie when he shows up, he's just, you know, we put a gun back in his hand. We wanted right. to make sure he was uh, properly represented in that light. And um, he's Richard Rancher, what do you say? He's cool. Now, you have, you have all of this testosterone in the film. And I, I asked um, Jesse and um, Richard about this here. Method Man, I want to get your thoughts on it. This, the, the idea of black manhood. And, and that was the part where Sam talks about that black manhood, what it means to be a black man, to represent a black man. Right. Well, for me, I personally, I think um, what represents a black man is someone that's very tight with his family, handles his responsibilities, very honorable, and at the end of the day, identifies with who he is and loves himself for it. And unapologetic, Tim. Unapologetic. Unapologetic. Uh, that is uh, that is Shaft, and that's what he believes a man should be. You just own your, you know, Got to own it. Got, last question, I'll ask you this. Sam uh, Sam made it clear last night before the movie that we are not passing the baton to Jesse. Absolutely. He was like, we ain't going nowhere. Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, yeah, there will not be another shaft without Samuel L. Jackson. I'll, I'll tell you that. See, that was Sam's way of saying, me and Rich is still going to get checks. Absolutely. Jesse, we, this will not be our swan song. Absolutely. No, uh, we wouldn't see it any other way. Uh, you saw the three of them on screen together. They're hilarious. They uh, The chemistry is undeniable, and hopefully we can do it again. All right, gentlemen, both good seeing you. Uh, good luck with the movie. Uh, absolutely uh, fantastic. Thank you, Uncle Roland. <laughs> get Laura Ingram's ass. All right, folks, that was, uh, you heard a little bit at the end there. Uh, Method Man has something a little special to say, Dr. Julianne Malvo. So what we'll do is uh, when she's back on the show, uh, we're going to play that for y'all. Uh, somebody got a little crush on Dr. Malvo. All right, folks, I uh, want to thank all of you for watching today's show. 
Uh, of course, uh, we appreciate all you have to say. Also, shout out to all the fathers. Yesterday was Father's Day. I'm here in Dallas. Uh, and so came to visit my dad as well. And so uh, with all of you guys, to, of course, uh, celebrate your fathers. Uh, we've seen lots of people, just all the great photos I keep seeing of folks posting images, uh, whether they're celebrities or not, uh, of their of them with their dads. And so it was great seeing all of that. Certainly want to thank Cleo, Janice, and Dr. Dr. Neombe Carter for being on the panel today. Thank you so very much. And of course, folks, I'll be back in the studio tomorrow. Don't forget, we're going to have more coverage of the more coverage of the Poor People's Campaign. All the presidential candidates, what they have to say about the issues, and so we'll have all of that and covering them. Also, tomorrow we're going to have a live stream tomorrow uh, from the Black Political Roundtable, uh, and they're going to have their uh, summit discussion on African Americans and the U.S. Census. And so you want to be able to show whether you're on Periscope, Facebook, or YouTube, click your live notifications, or anytime we go live. You get an alert, so we're going to have that live stream for you tomorrow. We have, we have a recap of that uh, in our show uh, tomorrow as well. And so you see what we do here, Roland Martin Unfiltered. Uh, we cover it all, our daily show. Uh, we also podcast this. You can subscribe to our podcast. We're on Spotify. We're on iTunes. Uh, we're on Google Play Store as well. So wherever you have podcasting, we're available. So please download our podcast as well. And we want you to support Roller Martin Unfiltered by joining our Bring the Funk fan club. And so please, we want you to uh, uh, go to RollerMartinUnfiltered.com. Join our fan club. Our goal is to get 1,000 new subscribers, 1,000 new fans of our club in the month of June. And if you're already a member, you can go to RollerMartin.com. You can get discounts on the books you see there on the site. If you, and to be a member, if you are a member, have you not gotten your code, shoot us an email. We'll be sure to get it to you after we check to see if you actually paid. All right, folks, that's it for me. I shall see you guys tomorrow. All right, we're going to have a fantastic show tomorrow. We're going to talk about the white student, Parkland student, who's a little upset because he got into Harvard, but they pulled his admission because he used some racist language. And he said, I'm sorry. Wasn't that enough? Yeah, we'll, we'll discuss tomorrow right here on Rolling Markdown Filter. How? Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender.
I'm late. I'm late for a very important date. Time is running out to score adult theme park tickets at child prices from Undercover Tourist. This summer, make your Walt Disney World vacation more affordable than ever. Escape into a place where magic has the power to transport you into stunning worlds and your favorite stories for less. Buy from Undercover Tourist, an authorized seller, and link to official Walt Disney World apps so you can add on Genie Plus and Lightning Lane upgrades easy. Book your adult theme park tickets at child prices with Undercover Tourist now and save. UndercoverTourist.com Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why Gainbridge offers the Parity Flex annuity, designed for women's unique retirement needs, with flexible withdrawals plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. Gainbridge is helping build a better financial future for women. Retirement income you can't outlive is the ultimate flex. Start saving now at Gainbridge.io. Visit Gainbridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, full product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information.